Welcome to Give a Heck. I am your host, Dwight Heck, and for much of my life, lived my life in quiet desperation, wondering how I was going to pay the bills, take vacations, save for retirement, and one day wondering if I would get off the hamster wheel of life and have purpose. A life that most of society lives, which takes us to work, then home, then repeat, and pays us hopefully enough just to survive. The harsh truth that most live with more months than money and have no idea how to live life on purpose, not by accident. This ensures the mass majority are living not just financially broke, however emotionally and mentally as well due to financial pressures. In each episode, I will introduce you to thoughts, ideas, and guests that can help you to learn how you too can live life on purpose, not by accident. Good day, and welcome to Give a Heck. On today's show, I welcome James Woodall. James was like many, frustrated at not knowing who or where to turn to for answers on personal finance. Like most, he wrestled with issues in regards to taxes, investments, company-provided benefits, insurance, etc., His invite to move forward started with an education and suggestion from friends. However, he was not getting the best suggestions. He found that he had had he followed them would have ended up in disaster. The challenge, though, due to lack of knowledge, he also missed out on some great opportunities. Initially on his finance journey, he read everything he could lay his hands on. Some great, some not so great, some just completely off the mark. Along this journey, he started explaining these concepts to anybody that would listen. His decision to become an advisor came about after friends and coworkers started reaching out with finance questions. James could not stop talking to them about it as he had discovered his true passion in life. James made it his goal to simplify wealth management and take the stress out of retirement planning. James designed his firm to serve families looking for advisors who were focused on relationship first and foremost, not just live and deliver, only a transactional experience. I'd like to welcome you to the show, James. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on and share with us some of your life journey. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Dwight. It's an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you coming on. Um, our 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 conversation prior to this has been amazing. <laughs> I can't wait to Absolutely. delve into some of the things that I want to discuss with you. Um, I'm sure your perspective and your knowledge is going to help out the listeners, and it'll help out me. I always learn. Uh, I think sometimes more from my guests than the listeners do, because obviously I'm more engaged in in certain respects because I'm the guy putting it on. So, James, <laughs> one of the things that I focus on is a person's origin story. And mm-hmm. no, that, that origin isn't just about what happened with you when you graduated high school. Your, or The origin I'm talking about is your earliest recollections from little James and what you remember about your life from childhood to, to good, bad, and the ugly. Because in order for people to relate to you, they need to know, like, and trust you. And, and that's done through, you know, a person sharing, you know, my life wasn't perfect as a child or, oh, my life was rosy as a child. And and then all of a sudden it was too rosy and I hit a brick wall, right? So yeah, yeah. It, could you do me a favor and share me your origin story and what key things from childhood to adulthood led you to where you're at currently? That's a good question. Um, so, so thinking about my past, 
trying to think what's my earliest memories and, and kind of who I am today. I would say that one of them was uh, I was very fortunate with parents that are awesome. I, I was very fortunate of that. I'm the first to admit it. And I remember I must have been three or four years old. And I was kind of like a little bit of a shithead of a kid. And I remember my parents put me in karate. And I got really into karate and like the movie Sidekicks, I still think is one of my favorite movies of all times. Um, and my karate teacher was somehow in there. We can never find him, but he said he's in there. And I'll probably spend more time on Amazon this weekend trying to find that movie. <laughs> but uh, I remember I did that. I fell in love with it. I actually got my black belt. I, I tell myself I was the youngest black belt, but we'll see. Uh, I was in third grade, I believe. And I got my black belt. And what I learned through that was just focus and determination. You know, remember those late nights with my dad where he would film me doing katas which is more or less like a routine um, doing that and then driving across Houston where we lived at the time um, and then doing baseball at the same time. So I remember just that kind of drive and termination was kind of instilled in me um, whether I wanted to be or not, it was there. And that competitiveness uh, kind of bled through the rest of my you know, growing years and still here to today uh, through sports and high school did football of course, you know, puberty years are always awkward. I have terrible acne. I have, like, terrible acne. I take Accutane. I remember I found out recently the dosage that they gave us was so high. Now they give kids, like, a quarter of what we got. Um, so that was a pretty pretty rough moment there. I had to kind of, you know, learn to be confident with a face full of terrible acne. Um, but kept learning, kept playing sports, and then, you know, kind of slowly figured out what I want to do in life and figured, hey, college is a, a good place to go. So you, you've had some, you know, you talked about uh, Accutane. I know of many people that have had to use that product. One of my um, close friends in the past, and literally it he was on such a strong dose, it caused mood issues. It caused everything yeah. for him. It was like unbelievable. But, you know, since you brought up the fact of that medication, you look at it, stuff that I had this conversation with a group of people a few less than a few days ago and medication that I take. And yes, it gets approved for us to take that medication, but you don't know what the long-term effects 20, 30, 40 years from now. And I look at how many medications in my lifetime of all of a sudden they don't exist anymore. And then there's class law action lawsuits. And mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a struggle though, because acne for young people such as yourself, when that happened, it's a really emotional thing. Oh yeah, I mean, I still have like you can kind of see right here. Like I have a little bit of scarring from it. I mean, hey, it's it is what it is. But it's um, I think it builds a lot of character, whether you want it to or not. Oh, you happens. have you have no choice. You can either run and hide, or you can face it. Because my one daughter, um, of my five kids, she has severe acne, and she had it on her face, but she had it on her back, and. And she'd cry and, and she'd get picked on because of it. And now as an adult, she's learned to embrace it, but it's still an emotional thing. So, you know, I appreciate you sharing that because I guarantee there's listeners that have gone through similar challenges, whether it was with their skin or whatever, and they had society look down at, on them. And and instead of embracing and, and lifting them up, society looks and points fingers. They do it to people that are disabled and having yeah. skin challenges like that is, is something that is a disability for your, for yourself. 
it disables you being able to move forward and you retreat back into your shell of your life. And then, and that can drag you into your future years and kudos to you for recognizing it and sharing it with us. Um, I like the fact though, your third grade and a black belt. Wow. It shows your tenacity. Like you said though, because all of a sudden you're doing that and then you're also playing baseball you get into high school, you're doing football and so, so you found ways to cope, even though you had some physical challenges, which yeah. is obviously you've taken into your, into your life, you know, you're accomplishing and continue to climb in life in regards to your, your wealth management business and helping others. And it's probably made you a better, wouldn't you say it's made you a better, um, you know, wealth management advisor because of the fact that you've gone through your own trials and tribulations? Oh, absolutely. Because if, if you think about it, when we're doing wealth management properly, it's you're you're really working with your clients and you're getting in their heads with them to understand where everyone's coming from. Because there may be that little that little thing that happened once in life that changed the directory from going left to going right, and that's why they're making certain decisions. So I think it's helped. Um, in fact, a lot of my folks that are that played football, I use analogies that I use football as an example. Uh, like for example, like, so I'd say for my firm, like I'm the quarterback on the team and you're the coach and the fans. You know, I know that that receiver is going to go down there. He's going to run an out route or a, a go route, but they're, let's say they're the tax accountant. They're going to make that decision which way they're going to go because they're the expert there. I just know they're going to go both ways. And so that way for folks that play football, they that helps them understand it a little bit more about what I'm doing because at the end of the day, our our firm, the way we operate, is based off of relationships. And then kind of, I can't show you a piece of paper or like make you something other than things that are on a computer. So yeah, it makes sense. Oh, it does make sense, and it a hundred percent makes sense. You're being relatable, and even in wealth management in the U S versus Canada, whether you want to call it financial planning or whatever it is, it's all about relationships. It's all about connecting with people and connecting with the right people. You know, one of the things I had to give up and quit with the struggle was thinking I could help everybody. Not everybody's meant to be in my tribe or I and theirs in regards to helping them live life on purpose. We're, we're, we're not a fit with everybody. That's why there's so many different choices of what we can go and purchase today because everybody's got different needs and desires and they like different models. They like things looking a different way. It's the same with people. Not everybody's going to relate to James. And you want to practice. You want a business of people that are that are like-minded because it's so much easier to help them get out of their situations or if they're not in a bad situation, just help them live a consistent climb in life so that they can succeed so i appreciate mm -hmm. you sharing that it's it's uh we need to be relatable so if you're somebody listening and you're whatever service business you're in biggest piece of advice listen more than you talk yes shut up <laughs> that's what my <laughs> friends used to tell me was keep your mouth shut but also um you know it's not about you it is really truly about the client and who's there for you and What's so cool about what we do is that you end up finding just some of the coolest stories, some of the coolest people, and you just make the best relationships. And that's what I like. So I like I'm the I like the fact that. that you get invited to like I've been invited to weddings, I've been invited to birthday parties, I've 
Uh, and, I, and I'm not saying all my clients, but I have some clients that we just gel and, you know, they've been clients of mine for 15 uh, years, some of them right since the day I started 20 years ago. And they reach out to you and, or you go and see them or I'll just have a, you know, a video or a phone call with them. And it's just, it's like you haven't skipped a beat, right? Mm-hmm. They, and it's just, it's awesome because in the end of the day, we are a, a world that forgets that transaction is one time relationship is for life. And that mm-hmm. relationship for life gives you, um, it feeds you, it feeds you emotionally and mentally. And I love getting to know my clients and I do have clients that literally, I don't know if you've had this, just get to the point. Where do I push down? Where do I sign? And it's just like, you yeah. know what, we're, we're not a fit. I've had a handful of just like, just tell me where to sign. I'm like, well, we need to talk about why, like, I want to make sure you know what you're doing and you understand. So I definitely had that, the, uh, just, just give me the pen sign. I'm like, and the sales guy and you goes, Oh, this is great. But then you got to think, are they doing the right thing? They would even talk about what your goals are, what you want out of life. Like is the right thing for you. So it's always fascinating seeing people talk about money and it's because it's, it's, it's weird. It's stick. It's like a sticky, weird, squishy topic that everyone's so different on. Exactly. And this flows great into what I'm going to, we're going to talk about now. And I was thinking about this when I wrote it out and, you know, our population in North America is in trouble. Like you and I, I talked about this before we started recording based on my 20 years in, in finance and observing and experience what I have. It is very difficult for people to gain financial knowledge in the past. They'd be in the dark and that was a problem. But on the flip side of that, now they have so much access to financial quote, quote, air quotes for those listening, knowledge from YouTube, Google, social media, broke family and friends that it's become inundating. So in the past, they didn't have access and and now they have too much access and they hide. Instead of doing something, they don't do anything or they get the wrong piece of advice and it blows up in their face and they never get help again. And I think it all stems to the disconnect. And again, I'm you know, I do have education people that listen, but I think I believe, I personally believe it's from the disconnect in the education system being broken, not teaching people life skills, finance skills, instead of focusing on so many things that 90% of the population will never use in school. And again, I'm not against the fact of school. I'm Mm -hmm. against the structure of it. And when they teach stuff, and when they introduce things, and I have many teacher clients, I have teacher friends, I did. I've done work in the school systems, or attempted to get into the school systems. It's a real, it's a real struggle. They yeah. want change. Unfortunately, it's the government that implements policy that goes down to a minister or director or whatever that it evokes policies and procedures in the education system that have been broken in the U.S. and Canada and around the world for so long. I'd love to have an open discussion with you on this, starting with your thoughts and the confusion in the world living that we're currently living in in regards to how money needs to show up in people's lives. How, what do you think, what is your opinion in regards to education and how money needs to become a more of a focus than it has in the last, let's say, 50 years? Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, we have a fundamental flaw in our education systems when it comes to that. Uh, I, I honestly don't even know they teach home ec anymore. Um you know, does it happen? So I couldn't agree more that there is no education. Uh, I know for myself, my education was my mom 
literally when I got a job because here's how taxes work. You're going to think you made, I don't know, $500 as paycheck. And I made a little less than that here. Don't you go, no one really taught me that. And then here's how to balance a checkbook. And I'll tell you right now, I hated balancing a checkbook. And I still hate it to this day. And, and it comes down to there's no education. So, so when I worked at a larger firm before taking phone calls. So many people were craving, how do I build wealth? Like I got my stimulus check. How do I invest $600 or $300? I can't tell you how many of those calls I got because people weren't educated. So when we talk about money and where it kind of comes into life. So I think first we have to understand that money is nothing more than a tool. Nothing more, nothing less. It's not your savior. It's not going to corrupt you. I think we have to reframe our concept around money. It is just a tool to trade for things that you want, need, or like. That's it. And then I think if we can start educating people on that, that's where we go through. And that kind of comes the dance that you're talking about earlier, where there was no resources to where there's an overabundance of resources. And they start finding what quality, where do you find the quality of the information you're getting? Is it accurate? And what are they selling? You know, we look around these podcasts. Well, I see a lot of Bitcoin podcasts. Like, I'll be the first to say I'm not a fan of cryptocurrency yet. Maybe that'll change down the road. But where do you find that quality of information? Candidly, I think in the U.S., uh, you need to find someone with a CFP designation. Because not only are they a fiduciary, which I think you should look for when you're looking for financial advice, they're a fiduciary at times when they are not your client. They have to be a fiduciary at all times. I think that's the thing to look for is find out who's working in your best interest personally and if you need to legally as well to make sure that they're giving you that right information. No, I I agree 100%. You you need to do some research. Um I I have my own thoughts in regards to CFP versus non-CFP because Again, as we talked about before we hit record, I was a compliance branch officer and literally I didn't see the CFPs being any better than the person that was non-CFP because it all focused on the fact that they were transactional. Mm -hmm. And and those that were good CFPs were the relationship builders. And then the, the knowledge they learned from the CFP obviously give them the edge, which is a good thing. Like you said, the fiduciary responsibility but it all still, for me, still focuses back on we need to work on on our industry, stopping just being, you know, press hard three copies. Here's, you know, here's your transaction. See you yes. never. See you never. Or we'll talk to you next time you need something. There's no connection. There's no there's no uh, responsibility or they don't feel responsible for what they've done in regards to helping that client. You know, whereas I take it very personal, especially if it's a client that's had some financial money issues and I mm-hmm. help them goal set and help them budget. I want to make sure that they're going to continue to move on, that they're not stuck, that they don't feel bad for reaching out to me saying, hey, I didn't understand this or, hey, we got we got in trouble again. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, eventually I, I eventually I disconnect and walk away from clients where it's a repetitious thing and you help them, they get back into the you know, into the rabbit hole. But, you know, I like the fact that we need to reframe our thoughts. You're so correct in that statement. Our thoughts have been controlled far too long. And, you know, your mom teaching you about how taxes work. It's important. 
but yeah. I'm surprised. I'm surprised to hear that you acknowledge that because most don't. Out of my five kids, for an example, I've only got a couple of them that have sat down with me. Right? They grew up listening to dad. They came to some of the workshops I'd run because they'd have they'd sit in the back because they'd have to come, and mm-hmm. they'd they'd listen to me. And some of them, as they got into high school and in college, university, have really embraced what I taught them, and then taken it one step further, which is even better, right? They're not a mini me of me. They've taken that foundation or that step. And that's what we should do as advisors, right? Mm -hmm. The same things that I did to my kids. Unfortunately, not all kids listen. And I have some that are, you know, train wrecks, (laughs) but you know, the least your mom was willing to teach you. And and I like how you said it was kind of a shock, right? It was absolutely, but shouldn't you've learned that in school? Yeah. Like I, I wish I knew because it was 15 when I was lifeguarding. Yeah, it's 15. And I was like, okay, I'm going to work a bunch of overtime, make all this extra money. And then I found out I was taxed at a higher rate. And I went, what? I spent all, and that's when I kind of learned time kind of is money, that concept. I really understand that now. Because I could have been doing something else. And I went, oh, like, I, why did I get 30% tax because I was working more? Like, that's not fair. That's not right. But then I just learned the rules of the game and then how to, make the game more efficient for myself, even though I still lifeguarded for four years. It was the best summer job ever. But that was a very eye-opening thing. They got so frustrated that they didn't teach at school. The only thing I think they taught us was the stock trading game with junior achievement, maybe for only 11th grade and 12th grade. And I think it only went on for a month or so. And then it was just someone came in. I, I wish I could tell you who they were. Um, but they came in and said, hey, here's how stocks work. Here's how mutual funds work. You have a month. Who, who can make the most money? And that was that. That was probably the most education I would say we had outside of actually working in my parents' teaching. Yeah, it's and, and really, at the end of the day, the rules of the money game are easy. They're easier to learn in calculus. Oh, yeah. They really are, right? Yeah. The complex calculus, because I went through... Um, electronics engineering school here at at a technical college and the math that I had to learn was far harder than anything I teach people about the rules of the money game what do you want out of life what are you looking to aspire to get James you know why do you think that way oh what would you like out of life what do you want today what do you want for the future if you were to pass away tomorrow James would your family be okay just simple conversations and just caring about where people are coming from. Could you imagine how much different our world would be if that started in elementary school, let's say grade five, grade six, just the basics, right? Hey, little James, if you make a dollar, they're going to keep 30 cents. And then you got to learn how to live off that 70 cents. And out of that 70 cents, some of the things you want out of life, you're going to have to learn to save out of that. Keep it simple. And as they get older, teach them a little bit more steps or, oh, James, you're feeling a little bit emotionally distraught today. What's going on? Here, let me teach you some coping skills. Just, you know what I mean? Teaching people yeah. simple things. And, and people say, well, that, you make it sound so easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It's got to be structured. It's got to be figured out. There's going to be some trial and error. Just do it. Start somewhere. <laughs> Start somewhere to, to make sure that James yeah. doesn't have to worry about his mom teaching him about taxes. Exactly. And it's funny you say that. So I did engineering in college and then I changed majors from engineering to uh, international economics because 
those calculus classes were terrible. I remember took Cal 3, and they were like, you need to calculate the surface of a irregular object. And I went, huh? What's a triple <laughs> integral? Did I miss something? Like, I didn't. I may have failed that class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, I may have that, failed that one. <laughs> that's okay. You're still going to be a success. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, well, this isn't for me. So that's when I moved on. But I think it's a part of it's hard because one, we got to look at funding. So in Texas, we have the schools are funded by the state. How does the state get ran? You know, I've heard people say, oh, well, the credit card companies lobby against, you know, having educate like financial education taught schools because it hurts their bottom line. I've heard all kinds of things. I think it just comes down to it's hard. Because math is easy to teach. One plus one is two. Yeah. But when it comes to these softer skills, how do you teach that? Like, how do you find the people to teach that? And I, and I kind of just want to tell my clients when we create, try to create a family office is parenting really has to come in and supplement at this point. You know, the, the teachers aren't, they're babysitters at times. You know, and I kind of be honest from my point of view, from my experiences as a kid, to where you have amazing teachers as well that can change your life. Oh, and of course. Everything between. I think it's that it's up to the parents that are listening that they need to start doing it and take that ownership because no one else is going to do it for the foreseeable future. And that's kind of my opinion. So it starts with them getting their own house in order, though. Yep. Because we can teach our children so much, right? I looked at it as my kids were growing up. And when the kids come home, to a tumultuous situation of a dad or a mom or whoever's raising them and they're miserable at their jobs. They bring that tension home. They, you can't just leave it at work. And then their kids pick up on that. Maybe they've got their own stuff and they don't want to share it with th their, you know, guardians or, you know, their parents and significant others go through this themselves. And then the kids suffer. They bring it to school they're not listening. They're not learning. They're tired. Maybe they don't have a good lunch. There's so many things that go on. And mm -hmm. myself, the school system, I feel so sorry for teachers, especially during the pandemic. It's a giant babysitting service for people to drop their kids off to avoid them for that eight, 10 hours or whatever. Not that they want to, but it, it is because they need to avoid having kids around to make money to have strife to come home because they've never been. So the parents weren't taught right. Kids aren't taught right, and then the hamster wheel happens, and it just, it, you know, goes to the next generation, the next generation, and and it breaks my heart. It really does. And I'm not saying you and I are going to have the magic answer for the education system anywhere in North America or the world. Absolutely we need not. to. Our teachers are screaming out. Some of my clients are screaming out as teachers and going, you know, come help the school system. Well. All I can do right now is help one family at a time, refer people to me. Let's let's get a group of people together. I'll do a workshop for them. And we'll see out of 8, 10, 50 people that have done workshops to hundreds of people. And you're lucky if 2 3% come and ask you questions or reach out after the fact, right? Or I'll talk to the advisors that bring people there and say, hey, did you hear from any of the people you had there? Nope. Or I might have heard from one. It's a numbers game, sadly. It is. And as long as you can plant the seed, if anything, to say, hey, I need to start thinking about this. And as long as that seed, if you can kind of plant that, maybe a year or two down the road, they say, okay, I really do need help. I can you know, admit that I need help. 
or I'm sorry, I'm curious to find some help. And I think that's where it really comes into play is, you know, where do we have these resources out there that are free and available um, and good quality? That way anyone can find it. That's the beauty of the internet. That's kind of the bad part of the internet too, is you got to figure out, kind of back to what we were saying before, is where do you find good education that anyone can get? And thankfully podcasting has been amazing for it. Personally, I think it's amazing. And you hear different points of views, different ways of doing things. You can end up finding out what works for you. Well, it's a calling card, right? I tell my guests that all the time, you know, and all listeners, I don't think I've ever said this in 97 episodes in, but at the end of the podcast, when I stop recording, I tell the people, if you find value in this podcast, I would suggest you use it as a calling card, a business tool for you when people want to know what James is and what he stands for and learning your origin, they're not going to ask you at the kitchen table. And you're not going to want to necessarily share it because it's about them, but it gives them a good catalyst to know, like, and trust. So James can say, Hey, listen to this give a heck podcast. You're going to learn a little bit more about me, about my life. And, you know, and Mm -hmm. I've had lots of people use, utilize it because I utilize it podcasts. I've been on, I'll say to people will say, well, you know, tell me more about you and I'll send them a link. Here you go. Listen to this podcast where I got interviewed. Right. It's not because I don't want to share with them time is valuable, right? And if Mm -hmm. I can give them the opportunity to not feel uncomfortable as I'm talking, they can just listen to it and find out about it. Like you said, and then you get a differing opinion and people share. Podcasting is a powerful tool. Those listening, you already know, or you wouldn't be listening, right? (laughs) Podcasting is very, very powerful. And my show is unique because I could have, I'll have you on. And then the next podcast is about, you know, an empath coach. I've had empath coaches on. I've had people from all walks of life. I've had, um, uh, he's become a friend of mine now and he opened up, he's a comedian. He he literally opened up for Robin Williams a couple of times. Former Canadian, lives down in the US. And, you know, there's just, I've had the most unique guests on, right? I, it's just, <laughs> why? Because life is, shouldn't be stuck in a lane. And I'm not against the podcasts that are all about finance. I'm about, I'm about shining a light on the, on the darkness of all different people from all walks of life. And my listeners, you know, appreciate that. I I hope they do anyway. (laughs) I know I appreciate it. Hearing people's different takes on life. One of the things I like that you talked about and most people don't get is money is a tool. Money has no emotion. It, it it only has emotion of the person that's holding it, wielding it for good, bad, or ugly, or indifferent. Um, I like how you put that, though, because so many people need to understand you are the personality that money's going to have. So what is your what is your personality when it comes to money? Are you a person that spends a dollar and you only bring in 80 cents? Are you a person that literally... No, has, have you ever been taught that you need to save money ahead of time and then learn to live off the difference? Have, you know, have you ever learned the fact that if you're a good person, the money you have is going to help out charities. It's going to help out your family. Obviously once you get your own house in order, if you're a bad person, maybe it goes out and helps you feed your addictions that you're, you're stuck in because you're stuck in a rut. But you know, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that in regards to your comment that money isn't a tool. Money's just a tool, pardon me. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's a tool that is, so I, it took me a while to realize this, but money is just a tool that you use to exchange for goods, services, whatever, based on your values. So a lot of times my clients, because they go, I go, well, what are your goals? Because I used a goal-based way of financial planning because I'll be the first to admit I'm not good at saving every penny down to the actual penny. I say, okay, I'm not going to do a trip this year or I'm going to do two trips next year, et cetera. And I say, well, what are your goals? And they go, I don't know. I don't have any goals. So I'm like, okay, well, that's a cool conversation. Let's find out more. What are your values? What do you want out of life? And then from there, we start talking about it. We kind of go through a process and I'll, I'll gladly share you the worksheet that I have. And, and it shows that, okay, here's the values of what I want out of life. Okay, cool. Like for me, for example, I want to be outdoors more. I want to go adventure and have fun. And I realized as I was doing my own process, I went, oh, wait, I'm not going outdoors enough. I say I want to go outdoors. I have all the stupid hiking stuff in the world. Don't do it. So I was like, okay, I need to kind of adjust my life and my lifestyle a little bit to do more of that. So I certainly plan on doing a lot more work in the mountains this you know, winter because an excuse to go to the mountains is always a good one for me. And then work through that process. And then I say, okay, well, I want to go, let's say, fly to Denver. Okay, well, I need money for that. Okay, how do I budget for it, et cetera? What else do I change? And therefore, you kind of build a rough plan and you provide clarity. And that kind of sl that slow piece of mind says, okay, I'm going to use this for my money or my money for this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to enjoy my life and do it for this reason because of these values. And I don't feel guilty doing it. I don't feel bad doing it. I don't feel bad putting something else off or not doing something else because this is what I want to do based off of my values. Yeah. And you're so right though. What are, you know, what are your goals? Some people don't know. So what are your values? Money is tied to how we were educated from school, from our parents, everything else in our value system. And, and unless we are awoke talking to somebody that can help us see things differently, we stick into that same patterns. If your folks are broke, a lot of the times the kids are broke and then their kids are broke and they're living that broke mentality. And, and that was a real wake up call for me to tell people like, listen, this is, this is some of the things that you need to be aware of. You need to learn how to save first and then whatever's left have a budget to live within that live within your means and you know i don't know if you hear this but people shudder when they hear the word budget oh really God. really it's because society has made it that way i talked about that in one of my in that speech i talked to you about where corporations and the banks are the reason why people fear budgeting they don't mm -hmm. want you to be woke they want you to be asleep <laughs> they don't want you to understand the rules of the money game and simple things like, you know, the, the rule of 72 and how compounding interest works and that you need to live a life. If you need to borrow on a, on a simple interest base and have your money grow at a compound rate. And they'll say to me, well, that's impossible. No, it's not. If you know and understand the rules of the money game, there's different avenues for certain, not everybody can do it, but there is, you know, having to understand and know the difference so that you give people and empower them and as you mentioned, th their control of money is based on their values and their values could have been skewed, but they can be, you know, people listening or watching, you can change. I'm a yeah. prime example. James is continuing to change. I'm continuing to evolve. 
we just want to help you. We want to help you so you're not stuck, so that you realize that your ideals or what you thought money was maybe not right. Or maybe there's partial half-truths in there and there's things that you can do to understand. And it does start with, like you said, your goal-based goal, uh, planner. And that's the best way to be, is finding yeah. out what do people want. It, it seems to be the most effective way. Um, you know, there was a report that came out years ago called the Coleman Report. I heard about this. One reason why I know that is because it was in the dorm I stayed in at Texas Tech. One reason why I remember this. Uh, but it basically came out and said that there's a strong likelihood you're going to be like your parents because you think that's normal. So when you talk about that broke mindset, that scarcity mindset, that was something actually I had to get out of because my parents had a little bit of that scarcity mindset. I only have X amount of dollars. I can't, I got to save. And I thought that was interesting when you're saying save, I want to add on to that as well and say save and invest. Yes. Because that's how you get that compounding interest. Because oh, that's I what a, I that's what I meant. So oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. And you're good. And it's it's yeah. it's. So I'm really glad this came up because I have a very good friend of mine that I've known since I was probably first grade, and she's done an amazing job saving for retirement by putting just cash away. But she wasn't investing because of her risk tolerance is so low. I was like, hey, you know, you're leaps and bounds above your peer group. So such a substantial rate you're at i think she's 33 you're saving at a rate that most 50 to 60 year olds are I was like that's substantial but what's happening is because of inflation you're actually losing money and she's like well what do you mean i put more money away i don't want to see red and we've had those conversations whereas we want to save and invest um and now what's happening i'm curious to see they're doing this in canada uh, they created a kids Roth IRAs in the U.S. in the past handful of years, where if you're a kid and you can actually save and invest for retirement at 16 years old, I think we did some quick and dirty math one day, and I'm sure I'll get the numbers wrong, but it was you're at 16 years old, you retire at, let's say, 60, and then you put in, uh, like, let's say the S&P 500, so the largest 500 companies in the U.S., I think we said like an average of an 8% return. You put in $6,000 every year. That was millions of dollars. Only saving that $6,000 a year at a long, long time, that compounding interest. So that's kind of the thing, right? How do you learn early? And then those kids that have that have such a substantial head start in their retirement and their lives, and they don't even realize it yet. Because they may not see those massive swings that you see on TV or in the movies. And they're saying, okay, I made like $12 this week. And that's not bad. $12, well, micros, 24, 48, et cetera. Well, inflation erodes everything. And, I, and you know, I was, now that we're into this conversation, most like one of the workshops I teach now, obviously inflation numbers are out of control in, in North America, really around the world with standard CPI or inflation that hits $100, people listening, in five years, that $100 has the buying power of about $86 based on standard inflation. You've lost buying power. So if you were, you know, I use the wrong, when I talk about saving, I do mean investing. Um, those that just simply save and put into safe instruments like 
you you know like in you guys have cds you have you know we have gic's there's t-bills there's bonds all these safe investment tools can be used to offset shocks in the market but should not be a majority of what you invest in they should be a very small portion of it because if you don't take on equities or stock in regards to riding through the top 500 companies like you talked about the s p you're never going to stay ahead of inflation I, I had a client honestly said to me, he says, I've got a million dollars buried. And I said, really, how long has it been buried for? And he told me, I said, you realize a loan just this year in Canada, your million dollars that you have hidden under a mattress is worth 900 grand. If we just talk about it from January till now, you've lost $100,000 in buying power. Well, it's better than what the markets are doing. I said, yeah, but right now, if you bought into the markets, the markets are on sale. He goes, what do you mean? Well, if the market's down even 2 3% and you buy into it, you know the market's going to come back. You've got a natural growth of 2 3% and you've you've really benefited. It's it's like if you go in and buy a can of Coke and it's one can of Coke's a dollar and you go in the next time you can buy two for a dollar, are you going to buy two for the dollar? You're still going to spend a dollar. Now you're getting, it's on sale. So you're getting a benefit. And, you know, I tried teaching inflation to people and understanding the rules of the money game and implemented it, like I said, in one of my workshops, just specifically, and I get people come up after, or they'll reach out to me after agents even will come that have been at my workshops and ask me questions about it. And we never realized it was that bad. And I'm thinking to myself, my goodness, you're in this industry and you don't understand the price of inflation and how it can, and why you need to be invested to supersede and override inflation in the long term it's shocking really how many people don't understand inflation it's scary and here's another fun thing and i've been kind of experimenting with this let's experiment with it today is we talk about inflation in five years you know we think okay that's five years away i'll change the reality is we're, we're people we are creatures of habit and it's hard to change those habits so if you think about what were you doing five years ago has anything changed to such a fundamental fact that if you didn't change those five years ago, what are the chances you're going to change in the next five years? You know, are you going to change your spending habits? And, and a lot of folks think I'm going to make more money and that's, that's entirely possible, but are you going to make more to the point where your lifestyle does that grow with you as well? Well, then you have a lifestyle creep. So you have two types of inflation. You have the real stuff. But also you're spending more on things. Like we were talking about earlier about, you know, cars, like you see cars this is, as go from point A to point B. I have a terrible habit because I like cars. I think they're fun, but it's also cost me in other areas. I can't get as big a house or whatever. I spend more on cars, but they, even they're getting so expensive now to the point where you go, I can't even afford that one thing that I enjoy and love. So you got to kind of plan that out a little bit and then change your behaviors today to, you know, for your future self. Because the last thing you want to see is be looking back 20 years ago and say, man, I wish I did that. Yeah, 100%. That's the, that's the biggest fear in the world, right? Yeah. Well, I look at the people that, and we talked about this um, prior to recording too, just the, the different things that have happened in regards to expenses. Think about 20 years ago. we People didn't have, so if they're making 30000 a year, you know, or 50,000 or whatever 20 years ago, most people have capped out on what they're making. They're not making anymore. If they're lucky, they might have a cost increase based on inf inflation. Most most don't. Even big mm -hmm. corporations don't do that. 
Yet all of a sudden in the last 20 years, what have people added on to their expenses? You know this as well as I do. Cell oh. phone bill, internet, right? The list goes on. There's so many more expenses and burdens they put onto themselves with the same level of income they had before those things existed. And then they have society saying you need to have this. And the kids, you know, keeping up with the, you know, my friends have this or their parents go, well, the Joneses next door have this. The Smiths have this down the street. We need this too. They put so much more financial burden on themselves at the same level of income. And the thing that they don't have is the handle of their money. They don't understand their inflows and outflows. And it's it's actually scary. But like you said, five years ago, what were you doing? Where were you at? Where are you going to be five years from now? When I ask that question to people, you know, it's like a deer caught in a headlight for at least 50% of them. They're just like, I've never thought about that. You yeah, know, and if you think about it too, it's, it's not like it's easy, right? Like you're fighting guys on lab coats. I remember when I was trying to do keto before it was cool. Um, I remember we were trying to, we were, I remember going to a grocery store and realizing I couldn't buy anything because the store was designed in such a way that maybe want to buy certain things. And I went, I can't buy that. I can't buy that. And I went, this is hard. I mean, it was like, it, I mean, everything your brain was doing from your visual stimuli to what you're hearing, what you're smelling, everything is like that. And then you compound it against multiple companies that are really good at triggering you know, that little, you know, the id in your brain, I guess it's the id. But the you know that central brainstem to get those fundamental thoughts down that you may not even realize you're thinking and you're doing all this stuff. The next thing you know, you have this huge burden. And then it goes, how do I get rid of it? And how do I pull that back? What do you need? And that's it's tough. I'm oh, it is tough. Hard. It's it's not easy. November it'll be five. Not November will be five years for me for keto. So yeah, another similarity we have. Uh, uh, Right, I've had big giant fat bombs. We ever had those? Oh yeah, I've made my own. I've got recipes for them and stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've had challenges though where I do, you know, I'm really, you know, a stickler for keto and follow everything. And then I shut out the outside noise. I found a couple experts that I follow online. Both from are Americans. Both from are amazing. Absolutely love them. And they teach how to do proper keto because there's so many fads and facades out there. Keto yeah. needs to be done properly or you can actually act, hurt your body. So anybody that's considering it, I did talk to my medical doctor about it. And he uses keto to help people that are um, diabetics, right? Mm -hmm. And and he's been monitoring me for years. When I get my physical, he checks all my levels and Keto is great, but I've had moments in time where I become weak and I do dirty keto and it's like, ah, you know, whatever. I have a cheat day and then all of a sudden I have the keto flu or whatever. Oh, but yeah. You know, I it's, that. It's, it, it's, it made a difference in my life though. I, you know, in 2017, when I started keto, I was, uh, um, 200 and I think it was about 210 pounds, 213 pounds. And within six months, I was down to 160 pounds, right? 165, wow. somewhere around there. Wow. And and my energy levels were up. I slept better. My health issues that I mentioned prior when we were recording, where mm -hmm. we recorded, my inflammation of my body got better. Because what's our society about? Like you said, you go in the grocery store, there's, you know, they're directing you to buying sugar, this sugar, that sugar, 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 uh, preservatives, 
you know, all stuff that isn't healthy. And I'm not saying people that are listening that you can't have things in moderation once in a while. What I'm saying is you can't live a life like that. It's just like living the pattern of being, you know, living with more months than money, two, three weeks into the month, being broke and living on credit cards and loans and robbing Peter to pay Paul, things that I've lived and experienced and James probably has as well. We need to, we need to break the chains of what we've been educated about nutrition, about money, about our mental and emotional health, right? Wouldn't you agree? We have, we have an issue. It all ties together. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the lockdowns, I think were a fascinating time in history and I'm sure everyone's heard this enough, but, but I think it truly was a fascinating time in history where we're going to see the impact of what happened. 20, 30 years down the road. Um, oh, for example, huge. my girlfriend's nephew, uh, he got scared of picking up things because there's no germs on this. I need to wash my hands. That was fascinating. How's that going to change his spending habits? How's that going to change his mental health going forward? Because remember when I was a kid, like if the food's on the floor, the five second rule kind of extended to the 10 second rule at times. It is really good. And so I, I, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fascinating. So I think finding ways to, I know I'm kind of going all over the place, but how to keep your mental health going up, keep it growing, getting stronger, building that tenacity, that that mental strength. I think there's multiple ways to do that. And then also build up your emotional health too. How do you be emotionally healthy? Like me, I had to turn off the news. I, I can't watch it anymore. It's just too much. So you changed your associations. And that's something that I teach and coach on that I was taught years ago, but I've taken it, that little seed that was given to me by somebody and I've grown that and I coach people and I work on it myself every day to disassociate from negative people and associations aren't just people. It's associations to the news, associations Mm -hmm. to what am I listening to for music? What kind of television shows am I watching? And, you know, podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we need to focus on putting good things in. And if we're in a bad state, right? So I don't work, I don't talk about bad days. If I'm in a bad moment or a bad state. What do most people do? Depressing music, reach out to depressing friends that'll feed the fire and add fuel yeah. to it put on a sad sappy movie or a tv show and i'm not saying that any of that is bad if you're in the right state of mind then it's entertainment mm-hmm. outside of that all it is is pouring gas on your emo- emotional and mental mindset and, and and it's not helping us so i like how you brought up about the fact of the association of news i cut out watching the news out of my life in 1993 wow right wow and sometimes it has hurt me because people want to talk about stuff and I'll go, really? I, I don't know what's, how can you not know what's going on? And let's use the current predicament in Russia and Ukraine. Can I effectively do anything about it? I have, but on a, on a, a micro level. And, you know, I've gone to a few events here where friends of mine have put, put it on because of the Ukraine community. I know a lot of people and they're raising money and sending money over to Ukraine. One of my close friends, barely got her mom out her brother got conscripted i guess that's the word into the ukraine military he couldn't leave so i'm very emotionally invested into it but not because of the media my boots are to the ground making a difference and supporting and listening and and where i can help out a little bit financially 
but the the news is terrible and the corruption at the levels of CNN to Fox to the list goes on is pathetic right we it, it uh, is. it's the history of the world unfortunately um yeah. that's why i so because I, I i force myself to read the wall street journal every day like you know full finance bro and do that but just to kind of an idea of what's going on but still oh, i it, i stick I to finance news finance and business news i haven't cut out of my life i'm talking about the crap oh the, the, crap news. the, uh, the, the uh, boohoo woohoo news and you know I'm sorry this is going to sound harsh, but me knowing that some person went crazy and and uh, killed their family or is in a standoff with the police. Now, obviously, if that's in my local community, it's kind of important to know. But me knowing that mm -hmm. it's happened somewhere else in Canada or in the U.S., what does that do to my mindset? Does it strengthen it or does it make me live a fearful mindset? Yeah. It's not strengthening my mindset. and. Those listening, you may think that sounds harsh, but bottom line, you need to change your associations, who you talk to, what you watch, what you listen. And, you know, I agree with James. I still, because of my industry, I still read business news. I still read finance news, but I'm very selective what I put in between my six inches between my ears because it is so easy to climb back on the hamster wheel of life and live a life of fear where you're gripped by everything. And that's not healthy. Then you're just waiting someday to die. What kind of life is that? Yeah. That's a really good point. It's funny you say that because I remember during the pandemic, and, and it's something we can certainly talk about. I have like kind of these six key behaviors of investing and building wealth. Yeah, and, sure. Go ahead. You and can I remember, talk yeah, and it was, it was fascinating during the pandemic. So I remember everyone's like, it's the end of the world. We're all going to die. And I was at the point where I was talking to people all over the country. And it's fascinating hearing that and then telling folks, keep beating the drum. Hey, I know it's hard. Stop watching the news. Keep beating the drum. Keep doing your thing. Dollar cost average. Keep saving and investing. And it was fascinating seeing those who, you know, use like a gambling metaphor were on tilt. You know, they they panicked and they sold. And it's, it's always a clockwork. People sell at the bottom. And Emotional behavior of investing. It's huge. And it's so tough. And it's so tough. And then those that saw for what it was, they said, hey, it might be an opportunity because I maybe have cash on the side because I budgeted or spending plans or what have you. They saw the opportunity. And then we had the fastest, uh, you know, increase in the the market in history. So, so because, you know, we, I tell everyone, you know, we're not going to go drive towards a cliff and we're not going to turn the steering wheel. We'll come up with something. We always have. We always will. That's how countries are still growing and expanding. So. Yeah, that's so true. Interesting what kind of throws you off. Yeah. I like And I like how you brought up dollar cost averaging. One of my workshops that I do, there's this, there's like quite a few, there's probably about 15, 20 minutes where we just talk about why stuff like that functions and why, you know, 20, 20, 20 to 30% more wealth can be attained over a long period of time by learning how to dollar cost average. And mm -hmm. the emotional, I remember when I first got in the industry and we talked about emotional behavior and they showed me a chart. It was from a company, which is out of the US, Franklin Templeton. Mm -hmm. And Franklin had an emotional behavior investment chart. You might've seen it. I don't know if they still have it or not. And it, it 
you know, people buy high and sell low. It's just like, it should be the exact opposite. And not everybody's going to have cash, right? That's, that's, uh, you know, listening to us. And I, and I get it. I've been there so many times in my life, but if you do have cash and you can buy something on sale, like you said, the fastest growth that they've seen in history. So, you know, could you imagine though, if people had that stick to to, to have some savings and they see the markets crash and it's down, you know, 2008, it's down somewhere, depending on what indice you looked at, it was 30 to 40% down and they bought by 2012, that had all recovered. The person mm-hmm. that bought when it was 30 to 40% down, just got a market correction growth of 30 to 40%. And now all the growth that's happened since then. Cause I remember when I started, the Dow wasn't even at 10,000 yet. And now look what it's got to. Right? Oh yeah. I had this coffee mug. So I used to work at a company that uh, was in the same building for I think 40 years. And then they moved buildings right when I started working there. I have a coffee mug. I wish I could find it somewhere stored over here. And it's, it had a chart. And I remember talking to one of the guys and he goes, man. And it said 1994. And he goes, man, I remember when the market said 820. And I don't even know which index this was. So I'm just going to, we'll just say the Dow Jones or something. He goes, I remember, I thought I could never get higher than that. So I sold everything. I was like, that was just an interesting comment. He just said right there, without even realizing it. He just said that back then we thought it was so high, it would never go higher. And look at where everything is today. Even dealing in a bear market in a recession. Yeah, it's it, it it's interesting to see what people do with knee jerk reactions and and you know I had those co- uncomfortable conversations twenty years in. Imagine how many I've had, right? And and even I had a client, I had a client, I had a client reach out to me. That's been a client of mine for eighteen of the twenty years. Reached out to me. Lives quite a few hours away from me. He says, "Oh, the markets aren't doing very well right now." And I went, "Yep." no different than this, 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 and that, because I've had these conversations with him, but, he, but he's the person that gets caught up into the emotion of it because he listens to the news. He listens mm-hmm. to his broke buddies working in the oil patch. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes you just have to learn to divert and change conversations and move away from it. And people just don't know how to do it, but it is what it is. And and people don't like that when I say that, but it is, it, 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 it is going to be what it's going to be. You just have to decide what am I going to do differently than the rest of the world that's living a life of it. It is what it is, right? I, you know, I can't get ahead. I'm going to be stuck forever. And oh, the mark, the indice is never going to go any higher than that. So I'm selling everything. And I'm telling people, I remember back when I started, I told people the Dow is going to go well beyond 10,000. We've got the baby boom generation that's just going through the baby boom wave. Are you kidding me? There's, you know, we got. We got 10 million of them in Canada. We got 100 million of them in the U.S. Back at the time, obviously, they've been dropping off like flies now since about 2012, right? When they hit their first wave, hit 65. But it's it's knowledge. It's education. Now, if we teach you something, people that are listening or watching, and you have that knowledge, that little bit of knowledge, do something with it. That's the biggest problem we have in our world today. People learn and they don't apply. Yeah, I well, I can absolutely remember. I think about even like secondary education, college. All the things I learned were great. I only one class I actually could use to apply anything, and that was a 
more or less a futures and commodities class because we were kind of an ag tech school. So they said, hey, everyone in this class, you're going to learn how to trade cotton futures because 95% of people in the class were cotton farmers. So it's interesting seeing if you can apply something. So I guess here, you know, the call to action I would be would say is, hey, if you can invest $25, $10, just build a habit of doing something, I think that's probably going to be the best thing. And then just, what is today, the third? Third of every month, you know, put in X dollars and see what happens. You know, I, th I think there is something there you can do. We've seen it happen in our careers. I, mean, I remember I had a guy, he bought a dividend growth mutual fund that he put, uh, so let's say 1990, put like $7,000 in. Um, by the time in 2012, when I chatted with him, he had $30,000 dividends come in twice a year. Like mine was blown. I was like, what? And he goes, oh yeah, I just kind of forgot it was there. Let it do its thing. And the guy was getting $60,000 a year in dividends. That's yeah, I, I love dividend. I love dividend investment because people that don't have the money to do dollar cost averaging at $25 a, a month or $100 a month or whatever, I'll tell them, okay, well, we're going to do something where it's it's an idiot-proof form of dollar cost investing. It's called investing in a dividend growth or dividend balance, whatever type of mutual fund where it's going to pay you out mm -hmm. dividends every single month. And and I show them a chart and I'll say, well, you might get this unit at $0.08 cents one month. The next month it goes down to five. You're going to get more units. And over a lifetime, I find most dividend investing is the best way to go, right? I just, yeah. I love it. Right, I'm, I'm the same way. I love mutual funds. Yeah. Just, boring works. It's not exciting. Right, but what are people focus on? And we won't get into this long discussion because we're we're running out of time here. People oh, yeah. focus on the cost, right? Mm -hmm. But it's okay to have a cost if you're getting if you're getting value from the cost. So I teach a lot about that too in regards to MERs and stuff like that because people get so hung up on it because you got companies like Quest Trade or TD Wealth Management in the US and all these online trading companies, oh, we're going to save you this and save you that. And yeah, you know what? Nothing can replace, and it's going to, of course, it's going to be slatted toward us, but nothing can replace experience and our knowledge and our ability to care and build that relationship. And a, a bot isn't going to do that for you, right? It's not going to stop you from closing everything Exactly. So one of the last things that I wanted to discuss, because I know you have, you have to get going here soon, is you touched a little bit about it. So you said you have a six step process. So what steps do you start with, start with, pardon me, and would you agree the time frame is different for every individual, couple, family, or business based on those steps? Absolutely. I would say that we think about time frame because we got goals, right? Everything's based around goals. Is what is your time frame for those goals? Let's define it. If anything, like I have a bad habit where I'll go with people and let's say they want to buy a new house. And I say, well, let's go pull up a houses and say, you want to buy this house in five years. Show me the house. Because a five year window, you're going to have a much different investment option or risk tolerance than you are for something. 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Because you can take on, you can absorb more risk the longer you can invest. Because you can handle those ups and downs because maybe you need to go buy that home in five years and maybe the market's doing what it is today and it costs you a little bit, those ups and downs. So 
I would say that, yes, I agree that depending on your time horizon and who and where you are in your life can show how much risk you can take on. Um, but now when it comes to the six, so I call these like the six key behaviors, and I'll be the first to admit, I pulled this from a great book called Behavioral Investment Counseling by Nick Murray, and it is a foundation of my firm. So the six key behaviors are in order of importance. So the most important rule, no matter what, no matter what you get from today, is faith in the future as rule number one. And the reason why that's so important is kind of what we were talking about earlier. I don't know when, you know, when things are going to get better. I just know they are. I'm not going to continue to drive towards that cliff. I'm going to turn the steering wheel. Uh, we're going to have new inventions coming up. If you think about it, polio is more or less eradicated in the world, right? Uh, we think about the technology where phones used to be so expensive, so hard to get. Now you can find them anywhere and everywhere. They're in every kid's hands for good and bad. But but things grow at an exponential rate that make things better. And we're people and we can adapt. We're not a system where we are still human beings. So we can turn the steering wheel. So number one, that's always the one I kind of hammer pretty hard is faith in the future. Uh, number two is being disciplined. So you want to invest in what's worked and what's always worked. So that's why I kind of hammer boring mutual funds, ETFs, you know, high quality stocks because they've always worked. You know, those that were touting Bitcoin for the past few years were huge believers in it. And now it seems to be a little bit quieter because it's struggling right now. There still may be a lot of future potential in that, but I'm more worried about finding the things that are always going to work and that continue to work because boring is kind of works. That's the math. That's how the math works out. Absolutely. Uh, the third one and is kind of probably the good key behavior that I personally struggle with is being patient. Like I'm the first to admit that I'm the most impatient person in the world. And so it's things grow. This compounding interest we talk about, the curve goes like that. It's an exponential growth curve. It takes time a little bit. The next thing you know, when you need those funds, it's there and it's growing exponentially. And you may find yourself in a situation where you say, you know what, I, I kind of like this growing. I don't need that. I, I'd rather do something else. Um, so that's probably the, the first three I always say are on you, the individual. The second three are on the investment advisory side of things. Um, but altogether, it's a team effort. So the third one is your asset. I'm sorry, the fourth one is your assets allocation. So that is the ratio of stocks, bonds, and cash in your overall portfolio. That's going to be a very key indicator of success to the point where uh, Vanguard, I believe it was Vanguard did a study that said based on your asset allocation is the most important thing in how you're investing, not what mutual funds. Uh, the differences in the funds or the ETFs or the stocks, it's how much cash to bonds and equities that you have. That's 100%. Most 100%. And so we talk about risk tolerances, right? You know, that's based off of how much stocks, bonds, and cash you're going to have in your portfolio. Um, the fifth one is being diversified. So you want to own enough of something to not, I'm sorry, I got that backwards. You don't want to own enough of something to get killed by it and also make a killing. You want to have diversification. So think about the markets today, right? Uh, my family grew up in the oil field. My dad has a lot of oil field stock. It's killing it this year. It's doing great while everything else is struggling. For the past few years, all the energy stocks are struggling, and they weren't doing as great. So you kind of have that give and take. 
And so you got to be diversified and not just sectors and companies, but in funds, because you may find what I found recently is that a lot of folks um, for mutual funds, for example, I keep hammering those today, is a lot of them are investing in the same things. A lot of people hold a bunch of Apple and don't even realize it. They may think they're diversified, but if you dig into the details, a lot of people hold out. And depending on what their news does, it affects markets at substantial levels. So Absolutely. you need to be diversified as well. And even if you're investing in the same thing. So if you're investing like in the S&P 500, there's multiple different investments there. And that may be a good way to diversify in those because they may have different fees, rebalancing schedules, et cetera, which is the sixth most important thing. And I think this is the one that everyone misses on um, is basically rebalancing. So when we talk about those different areas that are diversifying, well, some are growing at a time and we want to sell high and buy low, but who wants to buy uh, semiconductors are a bad idea right now or or, or a, a referral. Let's say who wants to buy, I don't know, tech stocks, we'll say. As interest rates go up, they may be high, but there may be an opportunity where they're, they're buying them at a discount. So you rebalance them based on your asset allocation and you keep hammering that and keep it constant. And there was a study that I know was done by Vanguard where there's three or four ways to really do it. Uh, you can rebalance once a year, no matter what, on the same date, twice a year, no matter what, on the same date, or based off of your asset allocation, if certain areas grow. But no matter what, you have to be consistent and keep doing it the same day, the same way over time. You're not doing analysis if you're doing it different times of the year or anything like that, just the same time every year. And if you do those six key behaviors, those will keep you moving ahead in life. And maybe that's probably 90% of the work you'll do. And maybe 10%, maybe is timing. For example, now things may be cheaper. Well, we don't know. So if you have the opportunity, buy things at a discount. But that's cheap, maybe cheap based. Yeah, cheap based on what or who, right? Because people exactly. say it's on sale, yeah. but yet it's not. It was overinflated to begin with. I like how you talk exactly. about mutual funds and your step six, so rebalancing. Myself, a good professional money manager or the companies that I utilize, I I dive in deep to their management team to see who's their managers to make sure that they're doing that. And then I don't mind paying the fees because they're doing their job because I don't want to worry about rebalancing. I don't want to worry about are they allocating, do they have enough cash to um if they're in energy and technology, if it's more of a balanced portfolio mutual fund where they have cash and they see something going down that they can go and, you know, pounce on that because they're doing what's best for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm a, I'm obviously a, a mutual fund, fund fan. So <laughs> I love your steps. They're very simplistic listeners. You definitely, you know, if you have questions, reach out to James or myself, um, and we'll help you because it is not simplistic. It's not difficult at all. So we're running out of time. I have one more last question for you. James, if you had to give our listeners one last closing message, what would you tell them in regards to giving a heck and never giving up? Ooh. One last message of giving a heck. You got to keep doing it. That's where the fun lies. The fun lies in trying and failing and trying again and trying again. It's okay. Failure happens. Happens to the best of us. Getting back up and learning, I think that's the most fun part about it. 
I love that. It's okay. Failure happens. You know what? It is so true because people get so hung up on failure and they have one, they hit a brick wall once in their lives, or maybe they seen again, back to our pattern behavior that we learned growing up from family, friends, school, they see one failure and they see that person crumble and it sets the path and pattern for the rest of their lives. I'm here to tell you, James is here to tell me, tell you failure is simply a stepping stone to success. And, you know, we let people, if you're listening, you let fear grip you on one last thing. And, and I know my listeners hear me talk about this all the time. Start realizing that fear is not something that you should be scared of. You need to look at fear and realize it's an acronym for face everything and rise in life. Face everything and rise. Don't let failure grip you and the fear of trying again stop you from moving forward, right? Find good associations and good people such as James and myself that can make a difference in your life because guess what? We've had people that have done the same for us. I know myself, I still have people I'm engaged with that continue to help me climb. And I'm going to climb the rest of my life. And if you attach your wagon to people such as James or myself or anybody else, you know, that are always on the climb and moving forward, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to rise. You're going to climb. You're going to face your fears. And you're always going to be rising and winning at the end of the end of the day. And you'll live a purposeful life. So, Mr. James, one of the things you talked about is that you'd give out that, you you know, if you want, I can put a link in the show notes in regards to you said you had a sheet that you would give out to people if they want it. Um, Absolutely. So what's the best way for them to access you and how do they get that sheet? Yeah, so um, I'll certainly add it on your stuff as well. On my website, I have lots of free guides and materials. It's uh, sure. woodallwealthmanagement.com. Um, or simply just email me. It's on the website as well. Um, okay. Or phone calls. I'm a huge fan of just talking to anybody and giving away information for free. Uh, me and too. Because life, life gives us back what we give it, right? And the more we hold on to that little secret, right? We don't want anybody to know because they might steal our wealth or they may become more successful. The more we serve and give away to others, the better our lives are. So I will ensure that goes in the show notes. Um People that are new to the show, you can access the show notes at giveaheck.com. Go into the podcast portal. You will see James' smiling face, and you will find the uh, abbreviated show notes below, which will give you access, like links to his website um, and contact information. So, and never feel fearful. If I, I do have people that will reach out to me and don't want to reach out to the guests, but they're nervous because they're at a state and place in their life, you can reach out to me and I'll connect you to James. I have no problems. I love connecting people and helping people live life on purpose, not by accident, because I spent way too many years not doing that myself. So I appreciate you being on, brother. Any last closing things that you'd like to say? It was an absolute pleasure. I'm excited to come back on, Dwight. This is so cool. I love what you're doing. And I'm a huge fan. Oh, I appreciate it, brother. Share the wealth. Like I said, use your use the podcast to help you grow your people that know, like, and trust you because I already do. I appreciate this conversation, brother. So thanks so much for being on. Give a heck, James. I appreciate your time and sharing some of your experiences so others too can learn. It is never too late to give a heck. 
Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to Give a Heck. If you find value, I'd appreciate you sharing with your friends and family so they too can learn how to live life on purpose, not by accident. So you do not miss the next episode. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and please also post a review. I look forward to reading your comments. This has been Dwight Heck. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or today's show notes, please check out my website, giveaheck.com. And until next time, together let us all strive to give a heck.